Over 2,000 years ago, two disillusioned disciples walked along a dusty road to Emmaus. They had just witnessed Jesus, their friend and leader, whom they hoped to be the Messiah, suffer a gruesome death by crucifixion. Doubt, fear, and uncertainty clouded their conversation as they journeyed home questioning the future. Until something miraculous happened. The risen Jesus appeared and answered their questions. Today, many young Catholics step onto college campuses with numerous questions about their faith, yearning to know if the seed of faith given to them as a child is both true and practical. Using the miracle on the road to Emmaus as a model, young adult ministers conversed weekly for three months with college students about the most pressing questions they had about the Catholic faith. As they journeyed together virtually, something amazing happened. Doubts disappeared, fears faded, and Jesus revealed that he is still alive. Hearts Burning Within Us, the latest book from Patchwork Heart Ministry, scheduled to be released in the summer of 2021, is a result of that grace-infused conversation. To pre-order your copy and help spread the word about the book, visit patchworkheart.org. The St. Raymond Nonatus Foundation, in partnership with Patchwork Heart Ministry and Fiat Ministry Network, present a podcast for divorced and separated Catholics. Hi, and welcome to a podcast with the St. Raymond Nonatus Foundation for Freedom, Family, and Faith. This is Anne DeSantis, and this is the series with Rose Sweet on after divorce. This one is called Understanding Annulments. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome Rose Sweet. Yeah, I'm glad you said without further ado, because Anne, this topic is a hot button topic for many in the church and many outside of the church who don't understand. Um, so we have a lot of content today, today to hit, and uh, I think we do wanna dive right in. Um, we said a little prayer before we started this. Um, because annulment brings a lot of shame and fear to people. Uh, and we wanna get rid of that. We wanna blow away the black clouds of fear, shame and doubt on this topic, on this beautiful really offering that the church has for her children. So shall we dive in? Yes, let's dive in. I do want to tell our audience though, especially if this is their very first time listening to the series is that we are uh, three quarters of the way through a, a 12 part series and I'm with Rose Sweet. Learn more about her at rosesweet.com. We're so grateful to her to being a part of this series. Well, I love the St. Raymond Nonatus Foundation. I love all the friars. I love you. You guys are doing great, great work and I'm happy to be part of it. So thank you. what I've done, uh, I've written a book on annulments that's real easy to read and understand. I, I, I encourage anybody who wants to know more to get that book on my website. But what I try to do is condense the most important issues to 10 points today. So we're going to just go through one through 10. And the first one is you can't understand annulment until you first understand marriage. 
So let's revisit what the church teaches about marriage. Okay, number one, a marriage bond is created when two people say, I do. A marriage bond is created, comes into existence when two people say, I do. But we're going to go into that a little bit. Let's talk about what a bond is. Now, Anne, I use this a lot and people seem to enjoy it. What if there was a little boy and girl who lived in the same neighborhood and went to the same grade school and they saw each other on the playground and at the park? Would they have a bond between them? Some kind of a bond? Well, some kind of a little friendship bond, right? Yep, absolutely. They got a little friendship bond. They got a social bond. Uh, and maybe if they go to the same school, they have a school bond. They belong to the same little tribe, right? So they do have bonds, but those bonds aren't deep and they're not, you know, unbreakable, but they are bonds nonetheless that bring two people together. Now, let's say they end up going to the same church together. They're both um, at St. Uh, Raymond Nonatus Parish. And now they see each other at church and now they have a spiritual bond. They're part of the same spiritual family. So they end up going through grade school and now they're in high school. And let's say both of them are in the band. They both like music and uh, they're both in the drama club. They both like drama. So do you see how bonds are continuing to grow between these two? That they have shared interests? School bonds, social bonds, neighborhood bonds, church bonds, right? And bonds tie us together. Now, they're 16 and allowed to date. And so he asks, he's always had a crush on her. She never really knew since grade school, right? I'm just having fun with this little story. Anyway, he asks her out on a date and she actually gets excited. So now, what kind of a bond did they have? They go out on a date. Now they have a romantic bond. And that bond increases as they go out on more dates and finally he kisses her. And now they have a chemical bond. They have chemistry, baby. They got a chemistry bond. So now we're seeing the more and more bonds like, like ribbons wrapping tightly around this couple, bringing them together, right? But God forbid that they should listen to the culture and not their parents in the church. And they, if they end up in bed together, now they have a very powerful bond. Chemicals are released as God has designed sex to be in marriage. But now this, this, this little boy and girl, young, young man and young woman, they have a sexual bond. And that's a hard bond to break. Sexual bonds are meant to be very lasting, like super glue. God meant that because in marriage, it helps to keep the couple together in a lot of ways. So now they have a sexual bond and God forbid she should get pregnant. Now they have the first of all their many bonds that is unbreakable throughout all eternity. They have a parental bond. They will forever, forever, be the parents of a new human person. And we know Jesus had parents, right? Joseph, mm -hmm. St. Joseph and Mary, and Mary had St. Anne. Your parenting, your parent bond doesn't go away in heaven. 
marriage bonds go away in heaven because they give way to the bigger eternal marriage between Jesus and the bride, but parental bonds are forever. This is powerful stuff. Okay, so now, Anne, what do most couples, young couples who find themselves pregnant and they're getting a lot of pressure from their parents, what do they then do with their relationship? You mean once they, they if they have had that sexual bond, you're saying? They have the sexual bond. She's pregnant now. Oh. The parents are pressuring them. Get married. Okay, get married. <clears throat> We're not saying that this is a wise thing to do in every situation, but now they don't want to get married. They're afraid. They come from a generation that says it's not necessary and they just decide to move in together. So do you know couples who are doing that? Yes, right? Lots of people mm -hmm. we know. Maybe you have children, you have daughters. Mm -hmm. They have friends who are living together. Yeah, they have acquaintances that they know from, from school, of course. So this is not uncommon. So now they move in together and guess what? They sign the lease on an apartment. And now they, with all the other bonds they have, they have a legal bond. They have to pay that lease off, right? So they move into the house and now they have to pay rent together and utilities together. And they're happy because it's gonna be cheaper once they're living together. Now they have financial bonds. Now they have social, neighborhood, historical bonds, family bonds, parental bonds, social bonds, legal bonds, sexual bonds. But Anne, let me ask you this. Do they have a marriage bond? No. No, they don't. Now, they're living together and they have a child together and they're maybe even going to church together and going to part neighborhood parties together. They look married, they act married, but they are not married. Not the way church understands marriage. <clears throat> so this is, we need to understand moving forward about annulment. Annulment looks at, was there a valid marriage bond when the two people said, I do. And so now what we've done is we've gone back and we've laid the foundation that people can have tons of bonds that are old, deep, painful, beautiful. They can have breakable bonds and unbreakable bonds, but they don't necessarily have a marriage bond. Let's say they do finally go and get married because they realize they can get some more financial benefits if they do. So they go to the courthouse. Now they're baptized Catholics. So they're not supposed to just go to the courthouse, but they do. So do they, do they, they got married in front of the justice of the peace and they have a civil bond. A, they have a legal marriage according to the state, but do they still have a marriage bond according to the church? No, 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 they don't. This is what's so confusing for people. And I'm trying not to use religious language because all of our theological and spiritual principles really can be understood by common sense. Okay, so now they're legally married in the eyes of the state, but they have gone outside the Catholic manner of marriage. They've said pretty much to the church, whether they realize it or not, I don't really need to do it the way the church tells me to do it. I can figure out things on my own. That's, there's pride there, there's fear there, there's all kinds of motivations. This happens and we need to understand. 
Okay, number two, let's move away from bonds now to number two. The church teaches that a marriage bond has specific requirements for it to come into existence. So we don't just make up what marriage is. And please tell our listeners where we get the concept of marriage. We get it from the church, the right. teachings and, of the Catholic church. Right. And the church mm -hmm. has been handed down the truth directly from God mm. and preserved but she's been given authority to preserve the truth for her children, for our greater good. We didn't make this stuff up. So this is what's so exciting when I began to learn this stuff uh, years ago is the church teachings are really beautiful and they speak to the deepest needs of our heart. So number two, the church teaches a marriage bond has specific requirements and we get these requirements from Jesus Christ, the bridegroom who is married to his bride us the church. Number three, a marriage bond comes into being at the moment of consent. Okay, it doesn't, a marriage bond doesn't come into being when you hop into bed. It doesn't come into being when you run down to the courthouse. It only comes into being the valid marriage bond only comes into being when the two people stand in front of each other with the church as a witness and give consent. Otherwise it's not there. Okay, number four, consent, consent is valid and will produce a real marriage bond when two things happen. Both the man and the woman fully intend marriage as the church intends, as the church understands, and they're capable. So intent and capability. So Anne, let me ask you a question. What if uh, two 14-year-old, very mature 14-year-olds were madly in love with, with each other and wanted to go to the church and get married? Do you think the church will allow them to get married? No. And here's the answer why. The church believes at that age, they're not fully capable of giving valid consent and knowing what they're doing and living it out, okay? They may want it. They may have the intention. Remember, two things have to happen. Good intent, full intent, right intent, but also capability. At 14, even though they have intent, they don't have capability. So let me ask you another question. Can you think of anybody else who might come to the, to the, to the altar and attempt to get married and say, I do, when they really, really want to, they have good intentions, but they're not capable of marriage? Well, one instance would be someone who was married before, and maybe they didn't have that annulment, which okay, is our right. topic, right? Right. Okay, good answer. So they may have a prior bond. They may have a prior bond with somebody. And even though they really want to marry this person and they really want to be faithful and loving until death, they, they're not capable of marriage yet, if, if ever, because of that prior bond. So anyway, let's talk about what valid consent has to be. Good in, full intentions and capability. But here are the four marks of a valid marriage bond. And I, we get this from St. John Paul II's beautiful works, love and responsibility, theology of the body. The way Jesus loves his bride 
has four dimensions, four marks. And that's what our wedding vows are. That's what marriage, marriage, a valid marriage bond comes into being when these four things are present. Both couples must be free to enter marriage, free of fear, free of agendas, free of conditions, free of pressure, serious pressure. If dad has a shotgun, <laughs> the girl might not be really free to say yes or no, I will marry you. She's in fear. So um, freedom is so important. And this is a basic principle of our faith. It's this is freedom is scary. We've talked about this before on the show, I think free will. It's a wonderful gift and a terrible gift because we have to control that baby with grace. So there has to be freedom to say, yes, I choose you. And yes, I agree to live the way the church requires me because this is the way Jesus loves me. Jesus loves all of us. Freedom, free. The next one is full. The, the consent must say, I give up myself fully to you. And that means not just for six months, not just for five years, all the way till death, a full and total gift of self. It also means that if I have somebody on the side, I'm going to get rid of them. I mean, not have them killed or anything, but you know, it's a full, a full gift of self. I, and I'm not going to hold anything back. I am. Not, I trust you. I trust God. I love you. Everything I have is yours. This is the way Jesus loves us. He emptied himself complete. He didn't hold anything back from us. He emptied himself and gave himself fully on the cross. And saints and mystics have talked about the cross being a sort of marriage bed. This is where Jesus, the bridegroom, says, I freely go to this cross and I fully give of myself so that you might have life, so that you might live, so that you might have heaven forever and ever. This is my love for you. It's freely chosen and it's fully given. Free, full, and for a lot of days I work with people who have prenups in marriage. So let's say, Anne, let's say you got married to your husband. So how many, how many years have you been married again? 31. Okay. Let's say 31 years ago, you decided that you had some expensive real estate passed on to you by your grandmother, very expensive real estate. And you didn't, believe in divorce. You didn't want to get divorced from your husband. You were madly in love, but just in case there was ever a divorce, you wanted him to sign a prenup that for the entire life of your marriage, that property would remain in your name and under your control and he could not touch it. So that's, is that a full giving of yourself? No, I would say no, no, of mm -hmm. course not. You're you have a fear-based idea of you want to protect something that you're hanging on to and you don't, at some level, you don't trust him. So there's all kinds of, you know, we can go off on a big tangent, but those are just some examples of not a full self gift. Now, how does every, how do any of us want to be loved? We want the person to be free to love us. We want the person to love us fully and not hold anything back. So this isn't just church language. This is, this speaks to the desires of our heart. So consent must be free, full, faithful. This is the third mark of a, a valid consent. Fidelity is not just sexual fidelity. 
I work with a lot of people whose marriages have fallen apart and I find out and from the very beginning, they were still so overly attached to either their mother or their father that when they got married, the new spouse came second. Sometimes it's usually mother and father had a lot of money and mother and father were lending them money. So mother and father had control over the decisions in their marriage. And if it was push or shove, the, the spouse would choose the parents over the, or over the, the other spouse. So that's just one of many examples. Fidelity isn't just staying in the marriage bed and not looking at somebody else or hopping in sexually into a relationship with somebody else. It means you are number one to me. You are number one, not even the kids, except for the kids, life and death and health. You're number one. Nobody has that position. That's fidelity. Fidelity also means if you get sick and you can't perform and we have problems that I don't run for divorce. I'm going to stick with you. I'm going to be faithful to you for your greater good. Who doesn't want that kind of love? I know I do. I want love that's free, full, faithful. And here's the last part, fruitful, free, full, faithful, fruitful love. Jesus came to give us life and the human soul as a bride, all of us should open our heart to allow him to penetrate our hearts and fill our hearts with his life giving love. And that will bear fruit. So marriage, earthly marriage, and especially the marriage bed has to have that same openness, that same trust to say, I give up myself to you completely. And I open to you so that you can fill me with all good things. This is such, such, such depth and beauty about marriage. Okay. Amen. So now we're, we've talked about marriage, what marriage really is, what it has to have. It has to have uh, right intent that both people have to be capable of entering into marriage. They have to consent to a free, full, faithful, fruitful love, which is the way Jesus loves his bride. And when those things happen, not only do they have the band bond and the neighborhood bond and all those other bonds, now they have a valid marriage bond. Ah, happily ever after. So now let's move into annulment. Number five through 10 is going to be about annulment. When a marriage fails, the parties can go to the church and ask for help. What happened to us and can you help us resolve these issues? So number five is annulment is a way that parties can approach the church. And drawing from the church's wisdom and authority that Jesus gave her, determine, help me here, was there really a valid marriage bond? So what the church looks for is the marriage bond. Was, was everything that was necessary? Was, was there intent, right intent? Was there capability? Were the four Fs, free, full, faithful, fruitful, were those all there? And we look to Jesus in this whole annulment process because Jesus said, even some people are not capable of marriage. Now, Anne, let me ask you this. 
I know you're, you're sitting here. I can see you on video and you're intently listening because this is deep stuff. But do you know anybody who might not really ever be capable of marriage? I'm sure I do. <laughs> names don't pop straight into my head, but yes, I'm no, sure no, that not, I do. Okay, not names. And I'm sorry, but when you know that you have to have right intent and capability for marriage and profess a free, full, faithful, fruitful consent, is there anybody in this world that might not be able to have right intent or capacity or, or wrong understanding? Oh, yes. In this whole world? Absolutely. Right. So there can be a lack of ability, a lack of a serious lack of understanding. But I don't want to, I don't, you know, that's kind of a weak one because today almost everybody pretty much understands what marriage is. However, in recent decades, because of the high rates of divorce in our country, in our culture, Many young people getting married today really believe they have the option for divorce. They don't want it, but they believe they have that right because their parents got divorced and all the movie stars get divorced and we just, God just wants us to be happy. So if we're not happy, divorce could be okay with God. That's the twisted thinking. And if somebody enters into marriage, they're not really consenting to permanence. They're not really consenting to fullness. They're not consenting to fidelity. And in a case like that, they may say the words, but because they don't really mean it, a, a valid marriage bond might not come into being. They might be in a white dress and a tuxedo and inside a church, but because they don't fully intend to live out the way Jesus loves us, no valid marriage bond may come into being. The beautiful thing about this, though, is the church always gives marriage the benefit of the doubt. Marriage enjoys the favor of the law. We always assume, if we don't know any better, we always assume that that young man and that young woman or older, whatever, the bride and groom, they know it, they mean it, and we assume, we presume there is a valid marriage bond until proven otherwise. So, Let's go to number six. Here's what annulment says. Annulment says we, the tribunal, acting under the authority God give, gave to us, we found enough evidence that there was a serious defect in your consent when you stood at the altar, in one of you or maybe both of you. Something serious, grave, was wrong, lacking, missing, that despite all the other good stuff, a valid marriage bond never came into existence. We, and we understand you have sexual bonds and parental bonds and legal bonds, but sorry, folks, no valid marriage bond. This is a scary thing for people who are married in the church to hear because they, they start to go, ah, what if I don't have a valid marriage bond? What if way back then I didn't really know what was in my spouse's mind and we've been having some problems and oh, don't worry. You, everybody who has not been civilly divorced and married in the church, the Catholic church, Catholics married in the Catholic church, the church presumes that you have a valid marriage bond. So everything's fine. Take a breath, go to the Lord, get marriage counseling, whatever you do. Your marriage is presumed valid. 
it's you have to after divorce come to the church and bring evidence somebody has to say here's proof of why it wasn't so number seven the tribunal looks for the valid marriage bond it looks for validity not sacramentality this is a big confusion with catholics do you, i see you smiling do you have a comment on that ann no, but I mean that, that it makes complete sense that they're looking for the for the validity and not the sacramentality of it. Right. So here, here's what the church teaches, and this makes common sense. Whenever you receive Christian baptism, whether you're a Lutheran or a Catholic, there's one baptism, one Lord, one spirit. You are now part of the church, Jesus' church. God's church, the universal church. And having received baptism, you are now able to receive sacraments and all the graces that come with that. So we, this is, this is great. Okay. So people who are baptized are able to receive a sacrament and all the graces that come with it. Marriage is a sacrament. That means when you do it the right way, the way Jesus loves his bride, you get super duper extra graces. Now, um, sacramentality only goes to those who are baptized. So if, and if you married your husband, that was 31 years ago, and he was a good Protestant boy, he loved Jesus, um, but you weren't, he, you were Catholic and he was Protestant, you're both validly baptized. And you could both enter into a sacramental marriage. You both receive the sacrament and the graces. However, if your husband was not baptized, you would have, and the, and the bishop had given you permission to marry him, you would have a beautiful natural marriage. It would have a valid natural bond, but you wouldn't have the sacrament you wouldn't have the sacramental graces. You wouldn't have the extra super duper graces that come with sacrament. The beautiful thing is though, you have actual graces. And this is another, this sounds like a, some religious mumbo jumbo, but this is so beautiful and so good. The church teaches that God loves every one of his children, even atheists, okay? And that even nobody, even people who are not baptized are able to receive actual graces from God. He blesses them. And the actual graces are to pull you to Jesus, pull you to the church, pull you to God. Actual graces are always working in somebody's life. If they'll open to them to move you deeper in your interior to union with God. Those of us who received baptism, we have actual grace, but we also get the supernatural grace of the sacrament. I know I'm going off on a tangent, but I just love this stuff. So the church is not looking for, were you both baptized and was a, in a certain sense and was there a sacrament? No, they're saying, no, was everything that needs to be there for it to be a valid marriage? Was that there a valid natural marriage or a valid sacramental marriage? We're looking at both. We're looking at validity. And there, that's the free, full, faithful, fruitful. That's beautiful, Rose. Thank you. Well, it's the, this is our church mm. and I never knew this stuff. You know, when I grew up, I, I also, I was on the cusp of, I came in when I first got married, no fault divorce was introduced in our country. 
And I believed, along with a lot of other young, stupid people, that the government was right. Maybe they knew something more than those old priests and nuns. And uh, you know what? If you had irreconcilable differences, that was good enough. You could get a divorce and start over again. But I didn't have a proper understanding. And um, I made, you know, people have heard my story and you've heard my story. I have a lot of divorce history in my past and I didn't understand. I didn't know. I didn't seek it out. I had self-will run rampant and I was doing things on my own until I finally crashed and burned and called out to the Lord for help. Hmm. And it's that open spirit. It's that open heart. And this is what we're talking about with marriage, a complete openness, a complete openness where you, you can be afraid and you can still trust the Lord. You can have both at the same time. I'm scared, Lord, but I'm going to trust you. So fear in a certain sense and doubt, don't let that hold you back from opening, opening completely and surrendering to the Lord. So number seven, the tribunal looks for validity, not sacramentality. Now, those of you who are, are listening and know a lot more of the complexities of this, yes, sacramentality does come into it down the road in certain situations, but basically they're saying, did you intend to love each other the way Jesus loves his bride? Okay, here's a little quick aside, since I know we have a little bit of time. And let me ask you this, if you remember this from some of our seminars, if two atheists who think God is just ridiculous go to Vegas and they get married in, a, in an Elvis Presley wedding chapel. And the witness to their marriage is a guy that's dressed like it's the Elvis impersonator. And they get a little certificate by the state of Arizona that they're married. Would the church recognize that marriage as valid? No. That's what a lot of people think. Here's the truth. If those people both understand that marriage is a total giving of themselves to each other in love and to be completely faithful to one another sexually and every other way until death and they want to have children, they're open to the gift of children. They're, they're not pressured. They love each other. So their consent is free. Their consent is full their consent is faithful, and their consent is fruitful. The church recognizes, since they're not baptized, they don't have a sacramental element yes. to their marriage. I but think that's have... what I thought you meant, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, and that's why I'm glad we're talking yeah. about this. So, But they have a valid marriage bond. Mm. Presum it's presumed but they not sacramental. Yes, they have Okay, they have a natural marriage mm. and they get actual graces. But unless they have baptism, they don't get the, I always call it the gift with purchase, like at the Lancome counter. You get a little something extra. But in this case, the graces that we all get through the sacraments, the seven sacraments, they're not just little gifts with purchase. They're powerful and they're life-changing. So sacraments matter. Okay, thank you, eight. Rose. Pardon me? I said thank you. You're welcome. But we yeah. clarified that. <laughs> okay, but this is the kind of conversation we all need to have at the local level, you know, um, 
that the teachings of the church make, make such common sense. And I haven't used any big theological words so far, right? Mm-mm. So number eight, marriage enjoys the favor of the law. If you are going through a divorce, if you have been divorced and you're considering annulment, you have to understand that the church without any other, other information assumes that when you said I do, everything was in place and you have a valid unbreakable marriage bond. Marriage enjoys the favor of the law. The law and the church says, we presume all your marriages are valid. And the burden of proof is on you to come to us with valid information showing otherwise. Marriage is protected, preserved, and upheld like none other than the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church is the last defender of authentic, unbreakable marriage bonds. Mm, Everybody else... Everybody else, even in other Christian denominations, they got all kinds of reasons where you can break the bond. And the church says, nope, you cannot break that bond because we presume it's valid. But what you can do is come to us with enough credible evidence and witness testimony to show us there was something so defective at the beginning in one or both of you that that bond never came into being. Other bonds did, mortgage bonds, children bonds, affection bonds, sexual bonds. Again, that's why we started out with bonds. You had a lot of other valid bonds and you maybe even had a valid civil marriage, but not a real true marriage bond as the, as the church understands. Mm. This is one thing that I wish every pastor could hear. If you're listening, Father, I'm speaking to you. Please consider changing your language when talking to laity, saying that annulment says there was never a marriage. There was a marriage. There was a civil marriage. There was shared life. There were good times. There were beautiful children. There was a marriage, but it was only civil in nature. Hmm. And maybe something was so defective from the start that a valid marriage bond never came into being. So I have been learning over the last few many years to say there never was a valid marriage bond. I don't want to say there never was a marriage. It's words matter. And people get furious when they hear you didn't have a marriage. You didn't really have a marriage. And it's like, especially if one of them was like, come on, people. I I meant every word that I said when I stood at the altar. I knew what I was doing and I meant it. You can't tell me there wasn't a marriage. So this is why so many people are angry and hurt and confused and scared because nobody I shouldn't say that because it's very difficult to find this conversation, this discussion at the local level to where people can understand. Yes, we know you gave it your all. We know you meant, but your poor spouse over here, we found out by interviewing him or her, there was a real big problem from the beginning and you guys suffered because of it. So 
Can I just interject? Yes, First of absolutely. all, I have to admit that, and maybe you've said it before, so forgive me that I don't remember hearing that, but I do think that needed to be said, what you just said about the existence of that civil marriage. And for people who are listening, who happen to be our friends in the St. Raymond Anatis Foundation, please know that you're hearing this from Rose Sweet, who understands, knows, has experienced it and done a lot of work in this field. So I thank you for that. That language is so important. And, and I think you're right. I do think that our pastors and our parochial vicars and our bishops even as well, that they need to take the time to use that proper language with people. Because um, I think usually most mistakes that happen have to do with miscommunication in every way, don't they? I mean, it's yes. mostly the miscommunication that they, they, they didn't understand what that, they figured that people understand what they were saying, right? But they don't. So thank you. Yeah, and this is what I love about the church. The church has preserved this wisdom and this truth, and it's it's out there. I discovered it, um, and it's there, and that's why I love being part of the St. Raymond Anatis Foundation, because your mission is to get this truth, get this good news. This is good news out to the people who need it. Thank you. Okay, number nine, the process is complex and time-consuming. Now, nobody wants to hear that one. But look, marriage is important. It's the bedrock of our whole civilization. This is not just some little flippant thing that we can move in and out of. Marriage is huge on so many levels. And the church understanding that doesn't move into it lightly. She's got a whole, at the tribunal level, she's got highly educated and professionally trained people to help take a look at people's individual situations and to work with them to find the truth. Anyway, we're complex. We human persons are complex. We're body, soul, mind, heart, imagination. We're, we're, we're so complex and marriage is complex. So you take two complex people, put them in a complex marriage and the church can't just come out with a, you know, one size fits all form here, sign this, you get an annulment marriage over, poof, you know, that's what people think sometimes, but it's not. Here's what happens. When you apply for an annulment, both parties are notified out of justice. A lot of people go, is my husband or my wife going to find out? I'm, I'm going, absolutely. This was their marriage too. They have every right to know what the church is going to do. And they have every right to participate and to introduce the facts as they know them. Now, some people don't want to do that. They're not interested, but both parties are protected. I love the whole annulment process because it's about preserving the dignity, the freedom, and the truth. It's not about giving you an annulment because you're a good person and you're lonely and he was horrible to you for 20 years. No, it's not a reward because you're so nice. It is only about the truth. And sometimes the people who work in tribunals, they're highly trained in the law and they're sometimes they're not warm and fuzzy. And sometimes you get letters from them that are filled with long canonical words and legal mumbo jumbo. It's not their job to hold your hand and give you a Kleenex and tell you they're there. It's their job to be purely and strictly focused on the truth 
and follow the law. I mean, Jesus even said, I didn't come to change one iota of the law. I came to change hearts so that they desire to live within the law. That's good news. So it's the tribunal that upholds the truth and the beauty and goodness and the law about marriage. And may so, I correct yes. again, is that as Rose was saying, that letter that a person receives back from the tribunal might not sound very warm and fuzzy, but that's why people like rosesweet.com, Rose Sweet <laughs> herself, and the St. Raymond Anatas Foundation, why we exist is because we offer uh, spiritual accompaniment. That's our tagline, spiritual accompaniment for families in crisis and for families affected by divorce and individuals as well. Right. So and the, that's so what the, we're there for. Right. That we work alongside the tribunal and the burden falls on us to be the warm, fuzzy. Mm -hmm. Here's a cup of coffee. Here's some Kleenex. Let's start at the beginning and talk about a little boy and a little girl who start to develop bonds. And we begin to teach to help the person understand the concept of bonds that are breakable, bonds that are unbreakable, and why this is so important. This is, this is really important work. Thank you. Um, in the process, witnesses are required. You know, it's real common in divorce to have he said, she said. We know the civil courts are full of that. You know, and there's the judge trying to determine the truth from these two people who hate each other's guts, right? So witnesses are required. Um, and that may seem harsh and horrible, and but it is about the truth. And it's about other people who knew what was going on to come alongside you and help present the truth. Parties get to see the other's testimony. If I go to the tribunal and I present my case, this is what I have found out the why I think I had an invalid consent, um, then my husband in the process, if he decides to participate, he gets to read what I wrote. And if he, he thinks I'm full of it, he, he has a, he even has a responsibility to correct my lies or my exaggeration so that the tribunal has the truth. This is, again, this is not about the parties as much as about the truth of what was going on at the time of consent, at the time of the wedding. Was everything that had to be there, was it there? Or was, were there, was there something missing? So um, each party also like civil court, it's very similar to civil court. You would never really wanna go in and try to present your case by yourself, especially if you've never been to law school, right? You get a good lawyer, you get a good person on your side, right? You need an advocate. You need somebody who understands the law and can hold your hand and walk you through it and, and have your back through the whole process. And there's lots of names for that at the parish level, but in general, it's called an advocate, somebody who advocates for you in the process. Both parties have the right to an advocate. A lot of people think your advocate is the person at the parish who helped you fill out the paperwork. Not necessarily. That person can advocate for you in some regard, but there are more levels as you, as you get deeper into the process. One of the things that people don't know is there's a defender of the bond. This is a person at the tribunal whose sole job it is to defend that marriage bond. So even though your marriage bond is already presumed valid, 
and the burden of proof is on the other one to show why it isn't. They assign, and this is how much the church loves marriage and defends it, they assign a defender of the bond. And that, that person looks in all the testimony to see for weak spots or lies or exaggerations or reasons why the annulment should not be granted. This is another layer of, what, of how I love that the church is defending marriage and not just handing annulments out like candy. So there's a lot more to that, but make sure if you're in this process that you have a good advocate who can explain everything to you. If you're still confused and have questions, uh, reach out to the St. Raymond and Otis Foundation or shoot me an email and we'll help you out. Yes. May I ask Rose, where do most people find their advocates? Most people start by going to the parish and there's somebody there who's assigned to start the process and they hand you the diocesan paperwork. They give you a little bit of instruction. They send you home to start filling out your papers. Sometimes that's all they do is hand you the package and go, they're there now. Be short. Don't, don't, don't write too many pages that nobody likes to read all that stuff, uh, which is horrible. This is your life and your marriage and your case. That's my gardener coming by. Do you hear that loud noise? I'm sorry. So you, but you might have somebody at your parish who's very well versed in this, very highly trained and will walk you through, listen to your story, ask you questions, hold your feet to the fire, help you with your testimony and walk you the whole way through. So that's the kind of help you need. If you are not finding that, call the tribunal and ask them, to assign you an advocate. Thank you. So it's, there's, there's a lot more to it, but okay. It's a good thing. We're, we're wrapping this up here now. We're at number 10. I'm so sorry about that gardener. Oh, no worries. I, but, actually, I don't know whether our audience here can really hear it because it's very faint to me. So, okay, good, 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 mm -hmm. good. Number 10 myths and misunderstandings about annulment are endless myths and misunderstandings about annulments are endless. We couldn't cover everything in this short podcast, but I hope we covered some of the important issues. Let me just go through the, in the la our last few minutes. You don't need an annulment if you go through civil divorce. If you understand you're still married in the eyes of the church and you're going to live separate from your spouse and have a rich full life and you have no intention of seeking a new relationship, you don't need an annulment. But if your spouse goes out and tries to get an annulment, don't just ignore it. Be active in participating in that. Step up to the plate and give the tribunal the truth as you know it. You do need an annulment if you think that you're ready for a new love or you want it. You, you can't even date. You should never even date without an annulment. That's not fair to the other person. It is, you're still married. And I don't care if you don't feel married. And I don't care if you were separated for four years and life has gone on. And maybe your spouse has married even somebody else civilly. I don't care. That marriage bond, and this is why we started out at the top of the hour with bonds, that marriage bond is still there until you can prove otherwise. It, this whole topic touches deep nerves and makes people ashamed scared, angry, 
Um, you know, they already were abandoned maybe by their spouse. And now the church is going to dissolve their marriage or get rid of their marriage or say there never was a marriage that would infuriate. And that does infuriate a lot of people and it alienates them from the church. So our work is really important to help those people get through that really, really tough time. Annulments are not handed out like candy. That is a myth. You can't buy your way through annulment. You can't know Monsignor so-and-so or your, your cousin is, is on the tribunal. I'm sorry, people, that doesn't count. The tribunal is under rigorous requirements to do things right and to uphold the law. And I love that. Annulment can bring healing. It can bring closure. It is difficult. Sometimes it's easy. Sometimes it's difficult. Um, and it more than anything, it does not make your children illegitimate. If the church assumes that your marriage bond is valid, when you had your children, you had them under a presumed valid marriage bond. There's validity. There's no illegitimacy there at all. Every child is welcome in the eyes of God. And the whole legal term of illegitimacy was coined, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years ago and had more to do with property and inheritance rights than the inherent dignity and value of your children. And remember, there's an unbreakable, unbreakable bond between your, and ch your children and you, a parental bond that can never be broken even throughout all eternity. And that is the teachings. That is the teaching of the Holy Catholic Church. Can I just interject on a personal level? Because it's good to hear what you just said, because I myself am the product of two parents that were divorced and an old. So it's good to hear that what you said about that unbreakable bond and, and that you're not an illegitimate child in any way. No, we have to get rid of the shame and all this. Okay. In every divorce, there's some guilt. Somebody's going to be carrying some guilt because there was genuine sin there in some way and some level but we don't have enough information to really tell anybody. And we all need to get off our high horse and start saying, well, you should go back and you should do this, or you should get a divorce. We don't have enough information. Let's have compassion. Let's have deeper understanding. Let's get rid of the shame and let's bring love and hope and freedom to people, not freedom for their own selfish desires, but freedom to live in the truth freedom to live in the truth, freedom to live in the truth. And that is why I love being Catholic. Hmm. I must say, Rose, you did a wonderful job on this podcast. Thank you. Anne. Let's get this out everywhere we can. That's right. That's right. This is, this has been a wonderful episode. Very educational. Listen to it again, share it with some of your friends. And as I gave you at the beginning, Rose's website is rosesweet.com. Ours is nonatus.org. And you can make appointments with both of us because Rose does coaching. Uh, tell us a little bit about that because I think some of the people listening might be interested. Well, thank you, Anne. Just go to my website, uh, click on the about slash coaching tab, and you'll see all the services that I offer. And while we're talking about, I do life coaching, relationship coaching, business coaching, but I also do annulment coaching and I will help you get through the tough times. If you're, if you're dealing with this, I must say that at the very top of our, our list of who we recommend, it would be Rose. So 
uh, please do get in touch with Rose. Now, you know, for people who are devoted to our foundation that we offer a free spiritual consultation with a Mercedarian friar. Um, all you need to do is to go on the contact form or email me at director.srnf for St. Raymond and Otis Foundation at gmail.com and set up an appointment to speak to our spiritual moderator who will talk to you about the spiritual part of it, the whole Catholic uh, spirituality with the getting an annulment and, and any other questions that you might have. So uh, we're free there to help you. Um, please do contact us. Um, so Rose, would you have any final thoughts before we end? Well, this is what just popped in my mind. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge him in all your ways and he will direct your path. If this topic is something that you're interested in, trust the Lord and trust his church. Amen. Rose, thank you so much. And join us again next month. We premiere the first Tuesday of each month at 8 p.m. Eastern, but you can go back and listen to that whole series, The After Divorce, on our YouTube channel. Please subscribe at Philly Nonatus on YouTube. Thank you so much, everyone, and God bless. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information about the St. Raymond Nonatus Foundation, visit nonatus.org or email director.srnf at gmail.com. Did you enjoy this podcast? Listen to other podcasts from Patchwork Heart Ministry by following Patchwork Heart Radio wherever you listen to podcasts.